here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Thank you. That was the Mad Painter, better known as T.R. Becker, Thomas R. Becker of Georgia. He is our general manager for our various affiliated radio stations. This is TJMRCT Radio with ACO, American Communications Online. We also have Revolution Radios, Cosmos Radios, and Aquarian Radio. So we're doing this for all of those that like to carry our shows. And today we're representing UFO Association in a Niche genre or niche, if you'd like to say, with Jan Aldrich of Connecticut. He's uh, actually a ufologist for many, many years, has a very interesting background. He spent over 25 years in the military and in the post office. So I'll let him introduce himself, and then we'll get on with this report. We're going to start doing every week on Mondays, preferably, and it'll be 4 to 6 Eastern. And uh, we'll have it right here on ACO Radios at TJ Mars ET Radio is our address and our call sign, TJ Mars ET Radio, since 2012. Jan Aldrich, can you hear me? And would you like to introduce yourself with your history and why you're doing this, please? Okay, my name is Jan Aldrich. I uh, um, I have a uh, history degree from. Uh, University of Maryland, University College. I've spent uh, 25 years in uh, the military and the Army and retired as a Master Sergeant uh, and 25 years uh, with the Post Office. Um, I've been interested in UFOs since I was in uh, junior high. That's uh, a little over 50 years now. Um, The... uh, uh, this particular program, I hope we can talk about the very early days of the UFO project and introduce some of the people that were involved in it. It's uh, um, uh, this uh, this information is uh, not currently available. I hope to write it up, but if uh, if I should pass on, uh, there'll be uh, there'll be this program that people can reference to. Now, uh, what I've done is a lot of this information has come from going to the National Archives or the Air Force um, History Research Agency in uh, Maxwell Air Force Base, Alabama, and many times just turning one page over at a time. Some of this stuff is just, you just come across it. You've got to look in likely files, and you may just come across, look at uh, hundreds of pages, and there's one page on UFOs that jumps out there. So um, uh, I think that's... Uh, we should uh, start with the uh, with the uh, a little bit about the Second World War and uh, let's uh, go let's, from there, huh? Yeah, let's start there. 
Uh, All right. Now, this with this series one, episode one, would you say that this is the beginning as far back as the records you can find in uh, the history that you've done, like boots on the ground and, like you said, going to uh, research so you found a hard copy or what, finding a fact, at least in written form? I know you didn't go back to the cuneiform or to the clay tablets back in Samaria. Let's talk about uh, scientific and um, official or government uh, investigating UFOs, not, not just the, the U.S. government. So this goes back to uh, um, uh, a place called Robo Zero in Russia. It's one of the best documented UFO cases, uh, um, and it, it goes back uh, over 300 years. So this goes back quite a ways. Now, wow. I didn't, okay. Well, yeah, if you'll timeline it, yeah. and then we'll move forward. That's That'll be great, sort so, of a linear timeline according to Jan Aldrich. All right. right. So there, there you go. So there were um, – uh, um, there were objects in the sky seen by a Japanese general uh, close to the same time, and uh, he he had he had his advisors uh, do a, a little uh, uh, investigation on UFOs. So th- there there are through the years there are there are things that uh, come up. Uh, uh, 1892, uh, the uh, um, the Russian uh, 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 defense minister uh, had an investigation of uh, unusual things seen around Russia's border and within Russia, and he had a technical group go ahead and investigate these things. So uh, uh, it's not just 1947 when this happened. Um, there are various um, in, uh, ad hoc inquiries. In other words, uh, a, a sighting is made and maybe uh, uh, military or scientific people will look into the sighting and uh, it gets filed somewhere and then we found it. Uh so uh, during the First World War, there was a, the FBI had a file on uh, uh, alleged German aircraft seen over the United States. So, uh, of course, there was no way for German aircraft to get here. So uh, that just, you know, we're, we're obviously dealing with something else here. Um, but what I'd like to do is go back to the... Uh, Generally, the beginning of the the more modern era, not 1947, but in the Second World War, and introduce some of the players that'll be in here later. Um, uh, one of the one of the interesting players is uh, uh, General McDonald, and he is uh, he is. Uh, an intelligence officer, and during World War II, 
their intelligence, they're making this up as they go along. They don't really... And, uh, Do you have a date but, uh, when you tracked his name down, McDonald, to so well, we'll have he's, more he's to go been on? In the army, he's he's not a he's not a general at the beginning of the war, but he is high up in the intelligence structure. And when they start, when the war starts, say nineteen forty one, he is uh, uh, he's sent uh, to Europe. Uh, later on, and he he more or less he's not the he's not the head in Europe, but he's way up there. And so he, World he, War II, 1941 to 43 in the Pacific, 40, is that where we're starting? Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. But the, a lot of these interesting people are in Europe. So when the, when the war starts in Europe. Um, McDonald is, he's going to be uh, very important during the war and after the war. Um, now, when the, uh, when the invasion of uh, Europe starts by the, by the uh, Allies, um, uh, there's right behind the troops, there's people looking for things. They're looking for especially the Army Air Force. They're looking for uh, aircraft, German aircraft that they could salvage or, or even if they can fly it away. And uh, the person that's in charge of that is named uh, Watson, Colonel Watson. And he is going to be big in UFOs during the whole of, almost the whole of Project Blue Book. He is going to be very important. Uh, he he commands a squadron that's known as Watson's Wizards. And <laughs> okay. what do I mean? Whiz, you know, whiz. And what they are doing is they are trying to capture uh, serviceable uh, German aircraft that work, and they're flying them. In fact, sometimes they're ahead of the troops. And they're trying to capture them and sending these things back, back to the line so that they can be looked at. And uh, so uh, they're uh, they they they're finding uh, aircraft hidden. You know, they, the Germans in some cases didn't have enough fuel, so they just abandoned these things, buried them, or things like that. So Watson's finding these aircraft, and he's especially interested in jets and rockets and um, advanced aircraft. And he's, 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 uh, he and his pilots are collecting these things and flying them back. Um, okay. So then there's another fellow whose name is uh, Howard McCoy. He's a colonel, and he's set up in London, and he has this giant microfilming thing and his people are on in Europe and they're following the troops too and they're looking for plans uh, manuals um, uh, aircraft uh, as far as 
performance data, uh, engineering studies, um, uh, anything that has to do with uh, German aircraft. And they're especially interested in advanced German aircraft that are on the drawing boards but haven't been produced yet. And they're finding these things uh, hidden in wells and caves and uh, farmhouses under hay and everything, and they're looking for these things. They're looking for the for the records of the German Air Force. That's one of the things they see. They managed to seize that before they were destroyed. Um, and he, they're they're taking this stuff back to England and microfilming it, and then sharing it with the British. Um, so this man becomes very important in UFOs after the war is over. Um, uh, there's a um, the uh, there's another fellow, uh, Miles Gall. He he becomes somewhat of a an important character later on in the 50s in UFOs. Uh, and there's uh, uh Oh, there's. Let me see. There's, there's, uh, right. there's one other guy that's really important. <laughs> well, you take that, and I'll just, I'll put World War II in that uh, Nazi Germany attacked Poland in September 1939, but the United States, folks, doesn't enter the war until after the Japanese bomb the American fleet in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, on December 7th, 1941. So that's sort of how a lot of people, uh, as baby boomers, remember it due to movies and things like that. <laughs> but between those two yeah. events, President Franklin Roosevelt, he worked uh, to prepare the Americans for conflict. But, uh, you know, my, my grandfather was uh, great. It's my gr- mother's grandfather was in Poland, and she remembers listening on the radio in uh in Clark's, Louisiana, where they were listening on the radio, and my grandfather was crying because he was from Poland. So that really impressed her, and I know that uh, it was a very sad time for people back then. So but, but, I guess but, uh, that we, was Franklin Roosevelt. But go ahead. We didn't. We didn't, uh, we didn't. Inv- we didn't invade um, uh, France until 1944. Now, we had already invaded Italy prior to 1944, and uh, there were people in, as they went up uh, through Italy, they were looking for uh, advanced German aircraft and things like that. This is the Army So they had the Battle of Midway, right, 42, and the invasion of Italy, 43, and then France, 44. And the dropping of the atomic bomb in 45, so that'll help people on a timeline. Right. The war was the Axis powers' unconditional surrender in 45. Now, I'm getting that off of the Eleanor Roosevelt teaching glossary, folks, just so you know the source. Eleanor Roosevelt uh, glossary. Go ahead. uh, Another important... uh, Colonel uh, O'Mara, and uh, he ends up um, 
he ends up in charge of the German scientists that we captured. Rocket scientists, test pilots, um, engineers. Uh, these people were all captured. Now, when, when we uh, were talking about some of these uh, UFO conspiracy theories, the, uh, people are not don't understand why we captured these people and and why we took them back to the United States. We captured them because the Germans were about five to ten years, not a hundred years, five to ten years ahead of us, and they had already they already had uh, uh, rocket technology that was more advanced than ours. And we knew we were going to eventually have to uh, invade Japan. And we didn't know if we had the atom bomb in in 44, early 45. We didn't know if it was ready, it would be ready yet. So we expected a million million casualties in the first invasion of Japan. It, it It would have been horrific. So one of the things we did when we captured these German scientists, we... We were going to put them to work for us. Uh, uh, and we had a version of the V-1 rocket all ready to go. In other words, we could stand off from Japan and bombard them with these V-1 rockets. We had, we had improved it, but we were using the um, German scientists to help us. Uh, then the war ended, and we decided these guys are ahead, and we need to uh, wring all the knowledge we can out of them. So we sent them to our uh, experimental areas in the United States. Anyways, uh, O'Mara, Don O'Mara, he was was in charge of these people when they captured them. And actually they had a pretty easy life. O'Mara's main problem was to keep them while they were still in Europe, keep them uh, occupied um, and uh, see to their comfort. Um, he would also uh, have other, he would end up uh, in, the, in the UFO problem later on. Um, uh, another person is a Navy person, uh, uh, Bernard Baruch Jr. Now, Bernard Baruch Sr. was an advisor to presidents and a, a financier. He spent a lot of his time in Central Park. He had an office, but he liked to do his business from Central Park. But his son had just graduated college before the war started and joined the Naval Reserve. So when the war started, he was called into active duty. Um uh, one other person that was uh, at the University of Columbia and called into active duty when the war started was an, uh, a man named Joe Chamberlain. And he went to work for the commander of the Army Air Force, General Hapt Arnold. So he was his speech writer, wrote articles for magazines, he, just like he had done when he was a civilian. Um, uh Joe Chamberlain, he became a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. But 
before he uh, entered the Air Force, he had written articles with uh, Elliot Ness, the uh, F- the uh, 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 officer who had. Uh, uh, he's not. He, he wasn't really FBI, but uh, he was the one that. Uh, uh, put Al Capone got the... behind jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So I mean, uh, so... Uh, the, uh, Chamberlain was a was a magazine writer. So ah, that okay. just that just introduces all these people in the Second World War. Now, during the Second World War, we had the Foo Fighters. Um, they, uh, there were daylight and night Foo Fighters. Um, some came right rather close. Uh, a few had, uh, interfered with radar and, uh, 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 radio interference. And, uh, um, the Army Air Force uh, took note of these things, and they, these were were put in the uh, intelligence reports. Um, so uh, after the uh, after the war was over, all uh, all these intelligence reports were more or less studied, and the man who was in charge of this study was John O'Mara. Colonel O'Mara. He he became he was he was assigned to Foo Fighters. He was he studied them. Um, and uh, General McDonald um, had uh, he became uh, head of Air Force or uh, Army Air Force Intelligence in Europe. Uh, all the all the more senior officers than him had gone home, and he became Army Air Force Intelligence. Senior intelligence officer. So he he put together the study that uh, O'Mara had made, and they questioned large number of German scientists and uh, engineers and uh, military men that they had captured, and every one of them said they're not ours. In, in fact, uh, the Germans had 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 experience with these things too so um uh and uh mcdonald general mcdonald he uh, he uh he he wrote a report for the uh for the pentagon and he said i can't tell you what these things are we don't know so uh he also said Using his experience that he had during the war, he said, I want to, uh, he told the commander of the Air Force, General Haft Arnold, that we need to revamp our intelligence because we were, we were just, we were just doing this, we were, we were doing, learning it as we went along. And he said, I have concrete proposals, which he sent to Arnold, and Arnold said, okay, I accept these completely. And you're you're exactly right. We don't know what we we didn't know what we were doing at the beginning of the war. We need to we need to systematize our thing. Um, so McDonald came back and 
uh, Arnold made him um, the head of Air Force Intelligence. Uh, O'Mara came back, and he went to Wright-Patterson. Um, and most of these other people went to Wright-Patterson, and, and a few I didn't talk about. Um, they went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. And um, some of the, uh, the aircraft that uh, Colonel Watson had, had uh, captured also eventually made their way to uh, to uh, Wright-Patterson, including a one that was shaped like a flying saucer. And that was uh, two brothers had... Uh, made this aircraft and it didn't it wasn't put into production during the war but uh, it was very interesting to the uh, uh, the intelligence uh, and the engineers now at uh, at Wright-Patterson there were there's a group, uh, group of uh, intelligence and engineers working in what's called T2 uh, and it was the uh, intelligence for the Air Materiel Command. These people, uh, they're also uh, taking apart enemy aircraft and trying to make, figure out what makes them tick. They are also learned by doing. So uh, a lot of these people don't have any uh, degrees. Uh, one guy does. He's a uh, he's a he's of German descent, and he's uh, Alfred Lodi. And in 1937, before the war, he saw what he thought was an unusual object in the sky, and he wrote his congressman about it, reported it to his congressman, because there's nowhere else to report it. So. Um, the war's over in in uh, 45, and in 46, in Scandinavia, uh, people start reporting unusual objects in the sky. They look like rockets. Uh, some of them crash into lakes, and uh, some of them go ahead and turn around. They come from the uh, from the uh, um, west and turn around and go back. Uh, I, excuse me, they come from the east and turn around west and go back. Uh, we suspect uh, our our military suspected that these uh, objects were Russian Russians using the captured German rockets, and so uh, our, our military. Uh, Got involved with the Scandinavian countries to uh, to explain these things. Um, Wright Patterson Air Force Base doesn't get involved with these ghost rockets, but the Pentagon does quite a bit, and uh, most uh, large uh, um, organizations, uh, military organizations in Europe. Um, Get involved. So we have the <coughs> uh, 
the OSS is uh, uh, Office of Strategic Services, which is a uh, is like a forerunner of the CIA, but it's, the CIA does not come from the OSS, as many people think. <clears throat> Truman didn't like uh, the OSS, so he broke it up. Parts of the OSS went to the uh, Army, the State Department, and <clears throat> these guys were covert agents. They were spies. They were espionage agents. Uh, they were analysts. Uh, <clears throat> and Truman broke broke that up, and he didn't like he didn't like it. So he said, "Start from scratch. Make a new organization." Uh, the new organization was. Uh, Central Intelligence Group and the first uh, director or the uh, director of Central Intelligence was a man uh, uh, named Sowers. He stayed on for a while and then uh, General Vandenberg from the uh, Army Air Forces became uh, director of Central Intelligence, and he had this, the uh, Central Intelligence Group, which just a small group, maybe had 10% of the agents from uh, OSI uh, stayed with the Central Intelligence Group, uh, and he uh, built his own organization, but it was nothing like the CIA would be. Um, these rockets in uh, uh <coughs> In Europe, we started collecting reports about them. Most of the reports were, were gone to the Pentagon. Now, Sidney Sowers, he, and he was the first DCI, is that what you said for That's right. Truman? There's no CIA yet. There's no CIA yet. There's just a group within the Pentagon that's called the Central Intelligence Group. CIG, okay. CIG. Okay, now that was 46. So Harry Truman, now did he start that, the DCI? Yes, he did. Harry Truman? The, oh, okay. The, the OS, uh, OSS was run by um, uh, a, a Republican. So first thing he did is fire him, and he broke up the CIA. He felt that they were too... Uh, I, uh, it was once again they 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 made this spy organization and they made it up as they went along and Truman wanted a more um, disciplined type of organization so he he started uh, he he there was no CIA yet there was just this little group within the Pentagon. Did you study the counterintelligence CID with Wild Bill Donovan? Did you? Did he come up Donovan in your studies? Donovan was the OSS. Don, okay. General Donovan was was the head of the OSS. Uh, okay. He was a good friend of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but uh, Truman didn't like him at all. So when Truman took over, when Roosevelt died and Truman became president. As soon as the war was over, he fired Donovan. So and Roosevelt, broke, is this back when the Democrat and Republicans 
did they were they fighting amongst themselves like the donkey they elephant game? Among they're always so Roosevelt civil war on. They're fighting among themselves. Okay. But now, Roosevelt, what did he Roosevelt claim? Roosevelt Democrat was party. Guy, and Donovan was the rich guy, and they got along together. Okay. And so that always had money Roosevelt, and greed in Roosevelt there. Roosevelt told Donovan, he said, "Form, form me up a spy organization like the British have." Huh. You know, special operations and everything. Guess what he told Donovan? He formed me enough for uh, people that could go behind enemy lines, blow up dams, uh, uh, sabotage uh, military installations. Whatever you could do to win the war, do it. He gave so him Truman, Money was no object. Roosevelt, and that was... Uh, Roosevelt Truman. Were they were both Democrats or, or not? Yes, yes they were. Harry Truman. Well, did he form NATO, the Truman Doctrine thing with NATO or not? Did he start that? He the started economy that. Eisenhower, Western Eisenhower, Europe? Eisenhower went around in Europe and, and sold the concept to uh, uh, to the Europeans. Eisenhower was still a general at that time, so he sold the concept to the Europeans. Yes. It started was he a Truman. Republican? Or was he a Who? Democrat? No, Eisenhower didn't Eisen. know what he wanted to be until he ran for president. Then he was a Republican. <laughs> okay, so the uh, they so they really did try to work together when it came to war. You think with Truman? Because I find it ridiculous how torn up our country is based on you know extreme left and extreme right, and then but I guess there has to well, be some kind of. Well, it's always been like that. If anybody looks back. Look after the Civil War. The Republicans were they they um, uh, and the Democrats fought over what should be done in the South and everything like that. After the Civil War, it was uh, uh, all this stuff is brutal. The the, the type uh-huh. of politics that go on. It's it's not just now. Yeah, uh, I and, thought anyways, Thomas Jefferson was sort of weird because he had slaves and they have that Jefferson Thomas Jefferson family thing reunion every year and they're mixed all colors you know what I'm saying so it's right. real funny because he didn't want us to have he wanted to free I guess men but he still used them on his plantation as slave labor so interesting how they would say one thing and do another to get this country going so really it's always been mixed politics hasn't it from the beginning right. so, even though we get so we didn't want to pay taxes. Yeah. Right Alexander to the Queen. Hamilton, yeah. yeah. Alexander Hamilton was uh, Jefferson's main opponent, and he hated slavery. And he believed huh. Jefferson was a hypocrite. <laughs> well, rightfully so. <laughs> uh, Alexander Hamilton was a, uh, a uh, an abolitionist. He believed that slavery should go away. So. This I, I'm I'm saying this goes all the way back to the beginnings of the formation of the country here. Oh, good! Uh, but, I'm glad you did that. But, but, but Thanks did, for throwing that in. Back to back to UFOs. Again. Back to the spy oh. stuff. Okay, the right. Enigma machine and Truman and, and okay, back to Truman okay. and Roosevelt, folks. Okay, so, so after the war, these uh, ghost rockets are coming. Um, okay. The Navy and the and the. Uh, uh, Army Air Force and the Army and uh, um, 
the SSA, which is a uh, which is part of the OSI that uh, um, the uh, OSS the, uh, OSS is the Office of Strategic Services. Secret so intelligence of, branch. One of the sections of that was the SSA, and they uh, they were they they uh, worked for the Pentagon. So. Uh, oh, okay. Well, see, that needs to be established. Rockets. What? Yeah, SSA needs to be established because we don't ever talk about it. The SSA but, definition, because you said there, the Pentagon is called right now strategic. Yeah, uh, SSA. Um, it's it's only well, now it's the Social Security it, Administration. It's, uh, it's only important in 1946 because after that it gets absorbed into these other organizations. So it just goes away. But at the time, it's okay. one of the, it, it's, it's a, a high-functioning uh, intelligence organization. So these people are sending all these all these things back to the Pentagon about what's going in, uh, on in Europe with the uh, ghost rockets. Um, the CIG is getting... Uh, most of these reports, a lot of these reports are top secret. Oh, I see CID. It's, uh, it says Donovan, he refigured it because he wanted a counterintelligence CI division, branch level called X2, X2 branch. So they, is that like the yeah, crypto? That's early. That's early. By the, that's early. By, by the time okay. the war is going on, it's, it's called the OSS, Office of Strategic Services. Okay. So, so OSS uh, creates first CI and, division. It has almost nothing to do with UFOs or food fighters. So, the only thing we need okay. to know is it's. Uh, so, um, the CIG is getting top secret information from the Army, Navy, and the SSA, and and the uh, and the embassies around Europe also. Um, so we have a hundred of these documents. Some some of them are not top secret. Some of them are secret, confidential. But there's a lot of top secret documents. Now, we've asked the CIA, which came from the CIG, said, "Do you have these documents? Uh, no record. Uh, what's the function of the CIA?" It's central intelligence. They're supposed to know everything. Everything is supposed to come to them. And they're supposed to sort it and be able to find it immediately. That's the whole now purpose of the CIA. Who set up the CIA? That's Donovan for the president. No, Donovan was OS. Uh, the CIA OSS. doesn't exist in 1946. It's a CIG. But. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, uh, these uh, in any case, the ghost rockets uh, start um, before forty six or during forty six. During forty six, they they go up and then they they slowly the number of sightings and reports go down. Ghost so Rockets forty six. By early forty seven there's there's almost nothing. They're just occasional now. 
All right. Well, at least they're in, they're in the Wikipedia, at least, Ghost Rockets. It does say sighted in 46 near Sweden and nearby countries. So that's what Wikipedia says. February 26, 1946, by Finnish observers. So that's, right. uh, that's if y'all want to compare. All right. They got Swedish ghost rockets and then uh, UFOs are reported in February. They're, they're crashing into lakes in Norway um, and, uh, and Sweden and even Denmark. And so, uh, yeah, the, the Norwegians asked the Navy, hey, can you uh, – can you help us recover one of these things? And the Navy doesn't want to do it. They they, they say they have to move too much equipment and men up there to do it. So they try to hem and hold on it. Anyways, like I say, there's a lot of documents coming back. Um, General McDonald uh, writes up a report on ghost, ghost rockets, and he sends it to the head of the Air Force, who is now no longer General Arnold, but a man named Spats, General Spats. So he's the head of the Army Air Force. The Air Force has not split off from the Army yet. S T A T S. S P A A T Z. I guess it's P. Spats, like shoes. Spats. Right. General exactly. Spats Museum. Okay, gotcha. So General right, McDonald has written up. him a, 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 a report, um, a secret report for this. Um, General Andrew now, Spatz, nicknamed Tui, World War II Tui's, General. Yeah, right. So um, okay. besides that, there's there's one guy from that that was not in Europe. He was uh, General LeMay. He was in he was in the Pacific. He was in J- Japan. Or yeah, I've heard of him. Japanese I hadn't heard of. I never heard of Spats so, that I can recall, but I do know General LeMay. So, is it because okay, he was, uh, was at this time? LeMay was in charge of research and development. Curtis he, LeMay. Yeah. He was so Air he Force, was, right? He was he was Army Air Force at this time, and he okay. is also getting because he is research and development. He's getting reports from Europe also, and I found a bunch of reports in his papers. Ghost rocket reports, which I hadn't found anywhere uh, else. So, Atomic his, Heritage his, Foundation carries stuff on him, Curtis LeMay. Atomic Heritage Foundation, and of course the U.S. Air Force because he was the chief from '61 well, to '65. I, I found I found the uh, his papers at some of his papers at uh, uh, Ohio at, History. At, no, at uh, at uh, Air Force uh, re- uh, Research Agency in, in, at Maxwell Air Force Base. His, some of his papers ah. are there. And that's where I found Ghost Rocket documents in his papers. Secret now, he's documents. buried in Colorado. Right. Yeah, we should tell people about how the classification got started somewhere in this, or just a briefing on the cl- why. Why did we classify? Who decided... Who had a need to know? I know because when I came through in 85, there was a bunch of scandal on on some spies. And apparently well, I came back in for that reason as an investigator. But do you, do you have anything short that you can say why we started classifying well, we confidential it, secret? Well, we all, we, we've we always had 
uh, classification back to Washington, you know, but uh, uh, we uh, during World War II it became more formalized. And then Truman uh, put out executive orders that uh, even uh, further formalized it under his uh, administration. <laughs> we had uh, <clears throat> essentially uh, uh, people were graded about the type of information they could have. Um, need to know was something that were, came into being after the war, but essentially that's what that's what it was. The the most. Oh, let me top throw this secret. in here. Oh, go ahead about the top secret. That's important. Top secret was was something that if it got loose. It, it meant dire uh, consequences for the United States for the for the uh, United States. Um, uh, then secret was uh, down from there, and it, it meant uh, that that meant if if this was uh, re- somehow uh, made uh, got away from them, it might cause. Uh, dire consequences, but not as bad as top secret. Um, confidential was uh, you, uh, during daily operations. Uh, uh, keep your radio uh, call signs and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, keep keep them uh, to yourself more or less. And then there was a restricted. So. Uh, that followed more or less the British system. We copied, you know, like I say, <laughs> the intelligence during World War II was, except for the Navy, who was who had already been doing this for years, um, it, it was made up as they, as they went along. So they tried to use the British model just because it was already established it was before already established. the DOD. British have other things, though. You know, we're not as complicated as British. They had, you know, discrete secrets and this secret and that secret. You know, they got all kinds of things that we don't use. We also had eyes only. It usually meant one person's eyes. Right. I use that myself. For, 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 like, General Eisenhower's eyes only. Of course, that didn't mean that right. Eisenhower was the only one that could see it. He he probably decided who on his staff needed to see it. But uh, yeah, mine it, it, always it, went to the head dude in charge, so to speak. So yeah, I had to put right. eyes only definition. Now you know today we have code words that are in the uh, yeah, yeah, secure right. system, and right, uh, after eyes only, secure in the yeah. net. They had they had other things, uh, stuff dealing with nuclear weapons and uh, other things, but that's basically a whole classification system. So okay, uh, so back to Carl uh, Spatz, World War Two, yeah. Carl Spatz uh, Tui, World War Two general. And he uh, became a commander of the Army Air Forces in 1946 okay. after Arnold left. Arnold retired. Why do we hear so much about Curtis LeMay and the UFO business? Why does he get so much credit? 
because he was he's in the Pacific Theater. In the UFO business. He's, okay. He's important in the UFO business. Well, he was having two fighters over there. Now, if you uh, go to Francis Ridge's site, uh, one of the commanders asked General LeMay, he says, what, what, what can you tell me about these uh, um, Foo Fighters? And since he was he worked for LeMay, LeMay figured he didn't need to know. So he told him, I don't know anything about that. And so uh, Fran's got that on his site that, yeah, LeMay didn't know anything. Uh, LeMay didn't think that his commander needed to know, but he LeMay was writing to General Norstad about pool fighters. So, <clears throat> so it's not what you tell one person and what, what, what you tell your peer or your uh, hire is different. Uh, well, nowadays, it, the it, top secret has to be read into. I don't know what it right. was back then, but now, well, they didn't like Trump's conversation. back then. We we don't have this complicated we don't have this complicated system back then. So yeah. Um. So Spatz gets a report from um, General McDonald. Now, by this time, Seward's gone. So um, Vandenberg is in, is uh, director of Central Intelligence, and he gathers all the data that he has. And he sends a report to Truman. Actually, he sends two reports to Truman about the CIA. One of his well, did sources, they have top secret? They used top secret yes, they back did. then? I, yeah, I just said that. Yeah, they, I, they did have top secret. But they, they didn't, didn't have, have code word. They didn't have they didn't the code, have code word. words. Okay. It became more complicated after the Second World War. Okay, All right. so... so uh, Vandenberg uh, sends information that he got, and one of the places he got information was from uh, uh, Captain Roscoe Hillencoter in Paris. Uh, Captain Hillencoter gets a report that the French government put together on ghost rockets. And uh, so... Vandenberg gathers all this information and uh, sends it to the president, to the White House. Two reports, as a matter of fact. He sends two reports to the White House on this. Um, the uh, the, the uh, generals, almost all the generals in the Pentagon get these reports. They're top secret, but they also all get them. Because top secret messages that come in, on the back of the message, it's stamped with each general that saw them. The names of the general are are, are hand stamped on the back. So, so, so. Spats so they know who had saw them. Yeah, yeah. Was that normal? Yeah, oh, that's something they started. That was normal back then. That, is, that, that was normal back then. Okay, so. Okay. Um, like I say, the ghost rockets kind of disappear and go out of. Uh, fashion now um, it's not that we didn't have UFO sightings at this time things that, that look like UFOs even in Sweden 
We have one report of three triangular objects flying over these homes, and the people saying their electricity was dead and their electric clock stopped, and they reported to the police. And the Swedish police went ahead and reported it to the uh, uh, defense agency there. And so it, it was in the, uh, they, they found this report in the summertime in uh, in Sweden. So uh, in the United States. Well, right here, States, ghost uh, rockets. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. In, 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 the in Waterloo, Idaho, uh, Iowa, uh-huh. um, this this couple is looking out the back of their house, and over the alleyway, here's this low-level object that's about uh, six feet. Uh, um, the and it's it's hovering over there, and then it slowly goes away, and that's reported in the newspapers. And the Iowa newspaper says we have ghost rockets here. Um, so there's, uh, there's other, um, uh, it, it wasn't completely, um, just Northern Europe and Sweden, <laughs> Sweden, these things are being seen all over the place, but not as, uh, the, the Swedish stuff is the main the main stuff. <clears throat> now, uh, while this is going on, something else is happening. <clears throat> like I said, the, the Air Force is still part of the Army, so the Secretary, Assistant a Secretary of the Army for um, for Air who will become the Secretary of the Air Force, Stuart Symington, and will later become a, a congressman or a senator. He'll become a senator. Um, but he's the Secretary of the Army Air Force for Air. And he he writes to General LeMay, and he's talking about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And he asked about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He says, what happens at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base if in the middle of a budget cycle we need a new project? How do we do that? And LeMay says, "Uh, well, it's not really a worry. If we need a new project and it's in the middle of the budget cycle, and the budget cycle runs, you know, uh, uh, 12, 12 months. Sorry. I turned that off. It turned itself back on. <laughs> that was so, the phone. I apologize. So LeMay tells uh, Symington that uh, if we need a project, uh, the general at uh, Air Materiel Command can on his own um, authority start a new project. He doesn't have to get a, a authorization from me or anybody else. LeMay says, 
he can just start a project if he needs to. But oh, by the nice. time the next, yeah, he's, by the time the next budget cycle comes along, oh, he's got money to, is a different thing. <laughs> yeah, he says by the time the okay. next budget cycle comes along, he has to get permission to continue this project, or he has to close it. So, uh, uh, uh that that makes. So this is going to be important later on. Yeah. Yeah. One other person that I talked about was uh, um, uh, Bernard Baruch, who was who joined the Navy intelligence before the war started, and he devised a system for reporting enemy sightings. It's called Ceres Communications Instructions. Uh, for reporting uh, uh, enemy sightings. And uh, after the war was over, he went uh, he went to the Pentagon uh, to explain his uh, his proposal that the uh, the reporting system continue on even after the war is over. In the civilian uh, after the war's over, and uh, uh, the Pentagon looked at that and said, "This is a good idea. It worked. Where your reporting system worked real well during the Second World War, and we need to keep this in peacetime." Um, but they didn't actually order it implemented. Of course. Um, Bernard Baruch, being well connected politically, didn't like that. Even though he's uh, only a commander at the time, he ha- he knows all these high muckamucks in the uh, uh, in the military and uh, in the government. So he he lets that sit for about a year. But in 1946, he starts going to see people and say. Hey, this thing was supposed to be implemented, but it wasn't. We need these reports uh, implemented, and uh, airline pilots and all these other people need to start reporting things uh, that uh, might be a threat to the uh, America. Now, no, oh. nothing about flying. Not nothing about flying objects is is talked about, but it's just anything that might need need to be reported. So uh, he goes and sees. Uh, um, uh, the uh, Secretary of the Navy and uh, a number of admirals, but uh, uh, and they they more or less agree with him, but they you know nobody's nobody's really pushing this. Um, uh, Nineteen forty-seven comes. Um, early in 47 the British uh, have a strange radar incident where they're chasing planes across Britain they're changing, chasing unidentified planes across uh, England and it's called Operation Charlie and uh, they're really concerned about this uh, they get a radar 
uh, surface radar and the uh, aircraft are chasing these things, they can't they can't catch them. Uh, and there's uh, random sightings of things before Kenneth <laughs> Kenneth Arnold. There's sightings in Australia. Um, there's you know, like random sightings, one in Montana, and uh, uh, as it gets clo closer to the summer, uh, a, a, one of these well-known pilots, Brian Savage, he sees something. Uh, he more or less keeps it to himself. Now, what um, year are we talking about? Because there's 47. an Operation Charlie. Wow, wait, later in 47. Argentine. 47. Okay, still in 47. 47. Okay. So, and uh, Richard Rankin is uh, also a famous pilot. And in Bakersfield, he said he sees 10 of these things flying around. Um, uh, a doctor in Maine. He's uh, riding to work in uh, March 3rd, 1947, and he sees these dish-shaped objects at the, at the end of this airfield. Now, these things are real close to him, and they're real close to the ground. Um, and he reports this later, uh, both to uh, Project Blue Book and... Uh, uh, to another guy that's uh, uh, George Fawcett, who is interested in UFOs. Um, the closer we get to Arnold, um, uh, we see uh, in May 19th, uh, Pikes Peak Railroad uh, on, the, on the 19th of May, um, uh, these guys have a sighting um, and uh, then Arnold happens and all hell breaks loose he got the media uh, attention why do you think that is is what? there a story behind it? why do you think he got the most attention in the media for the Most site. of these other it's, people didn't go to the newspapers. That's now, some it. Of them did. Okay. The one in the the one in Montana, the fellow went to the newspaper, and he got local press. Um. Uh. Doctor Burton Trask, the, the guy in Maine, he didn't go to anybody until after Arnold. Um, uh, Kenneth Arnold then with Ralph Stevens. Right. Yeah, uh, Richard Crank okay. and his sighting was on the 23rd of June, one day before Arnold, but he didn't go to anybody. Uh, the guys at the Pike Peak Railroad in the 19th of May, they didn't go to anybody. They didn't report it to anybody. So Arnold comes out. And then we we on the on the twenty fourth we get a whole bunch of sightings, not just Arnold's, but Arnold's the one that got in the newspapers. Um, 
And the government tried to say he was hallucinating, but that's when it starts. As as the days go on, the other people that made sightings on that date, theirs come out. But Arnold, that's why Arnold's considered the the first. Now the military doesn't consider him the first. So, um, uh, Don Don Johnson, who is what? Don Johnson, you go with Pryor. I was going to ask you, who do you personally feel should get credit for going forward prior to Kenneth Arnold oh. in your studies, well, your research? Well, there, there's there's dozens, if not uh, scores of people that, that saw stuff before Arnold. Um, but we give him credit for going to the people, media. Some people reported some people in the military reported it to their commanders, but it didn't go anywhere before our. So, uh, so in our transparency, how do we? You've got those in your Project 1947 website. Right. Your prior people, okay. So that's yeah, Project yeah, 1947. If you look at if you look at sightings in 1947, you will find a number of sightings before Arnold. Okay, well, you're so familiar with saying it, but people don't realize that's the name of your website. So, folks, he's done a lot of journaling, recording, and archiving, plus he has a lot of uh, comrades, colleagues that have assisted him, and he's going to a place this week in Michigan uh, this weekend. But uh, let's let's just do a quick little segue there, infomercial for you there, Jan. The name of that group you're in, and it's by invitation only. Can you just for a quick segue, real quick? Uh, you, it's a UFO history workshop. That's what it is. Oh. And so we're, we're we've already written UFOs of government. Uh, we're in the process of writing another book on uh, uh, the phenomenology of UFOs. Nice. And, uh, so this is this has been uh, a long time in the works. Uh, UFOs of government uh, took five years to write. And, Goodness! So you guys yeah, have a uh, a group that's been very interested as a hobby, and you come together for uh, phenomenology, parapsychology, or do you do the logical historical research only, or do you get into uh, how it's affected the world, search, you know, socially, all the way up to today, maybe. With, we, uh, we are we are doing socially per se. I mean, um, uh, one topic is you know, uh, police reporting UFOs or first responders oh. reporting UFOs. Now, okay, and the history of first responders. Good. Yeah. So okay, uh, go ahead. Uh, first responders reporting UFOs. There's nothing in it for them. If they make a hoax report, they may get fired. So, uh, uh, and if they make a report, they probably get laughed at. So there's nothing in it for them, and and they get sent out to uh, to uh, investigate things. So they have to come back and report on what they found. So um, while some of them may encounter a UFO and not report it, 
if they get sent out, they don't have any choice but to report what they saw. So they're in a they're in a heck of a way. And first responders don't just mean police officers. It means the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard gets called because a ship sees a UFO and it's important. They have to go out there and investigate it. They don't have a choice. It's not if we want to. they got to go out there. So even though the Air Force is out of the business now, they've still got to go out and look at it. Ah, I wonder if Calvin Parker's on the Coast Guard uh, went out there. I saw the Coast Guard flying over after my in a helicopter when my sight happened, which was strange for me. They must have known it was there because they flew right Indeed. over me on the beach here in, in Gulf Breeze. So that was here in 2019. So I know sightings are still happening. It's, and if you have a Coast Guard sighting at the same time, you don't know if they're reported or not. But mine looked like there was a Mercedes-Benz thing in the middle of a big white cloud. I don't know what you call it, but it's like a three-pronged thing, you know, disc. And uh, so <laughs> anyway, that's that's late. That's up-to-date stuff in 2019. <laughs> Yeah, but so I was I was taken before, so no big deal. Yeah, All right, so, so back to Michigan, and uh, but I wanted I wanted to mention how much because a lot of people don't know there's all these groups, and this is by invitation only, folks. You can't just say, hey, I want to go to that like event or conference that are open to the public. So these are are specified ufologists that have done research with a history. And even though I was an investigator, I'm not in their group. I was a paid uh, professional investigator. But I never considered myself a ufologist because if I even used the word UFO, I'd get fired, even though it came out in 53 with the Air Force, I guess, gets credit for UFO or UFOB. But uh, I wore the Navy uniform, but I did get to study Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and I went to Coast Guard, but I was only educated and trained uh, a little bit. So uh, you were Army, but this has nothing to do with our military other than it helped us to train to uh, identify maybe. But this group you're in are people that uh, – you. why Michigan? I mean, is this where you guys started this a long time ago? Is this like a – Oh, we met at other places. We, we, the first meeting was in Texas. So, so Really? What uh, year was that? Um, I want to say ninety-eight. I think. Who's the historian? Can we get a story? Is that on your project nineteen forty-seven? On your uh, by invitation we're only. His, we're all historians. We we wrote UFOs in government. It was people in Australia, uh, Spain. Um, uh, so, uh, and in the U.S., I mean, uh, Sweden, um, so, uh, uh It's UFOs in Government, are, that's the name of your book? UFOs in Government. So there is a book out there, folks, with some very detailed, before Richard Dolan, apparently, because I, I read Richard Dolan's, and that's that was amazing to me. Of course, I got to have him on the show here, young kid. But uh, I I was asking the government about my stuff uh, by the government, in the government, when I was working in the government. <laughs> UFOs in government, a historical 
inquiry. Now, is that your book? It's got 594 pages? Something like that. Michael, Michael Swords and Robert Powell? Right. They're the main authors. Main authors. But this is your group, your secret by invitation only. I'm a contributor. I'm not not the main author. All right. Uh, So you're the main contributor of this group. No, I am the contributor. Among other people, there's about 10 people that contributed to this. Okay, I'm going to share it right now, folks, on Facebook and Twitter because we're talking about it. So that'll get it out there a little bit. Marketing is a big part of this, folks. And uh, no matter who you are, entrepreneur, historian, researcher, is letting other people know what's out there. So I will save this and put a UFO book. Uh, uh, Please research. Now, this is just showing Google when I hit it. That's not fair. But that's all it says. So I'll just put a UFO book. But that didn't post well. I wonder why and uh why it didn't. Uh this has something to do, folks, with when you punch it in your social media. But it is UFOs and Government, a historical inquiry. It says a book by Michael D. Swords or Swords. I don't know if he says it with a W silent and Robert Powell. So we're discussing that right now with Jan Aldrich on uh, TJ Mars ET Radio for American Communications Online of Business here in Gulf Breeze. And Jan Aldrich is a wonderful historian that's agreed to do an oral report weekly because so much of this he's trying to put get rid of the red tape, so to speak, and get it on a good timeline for us so we can go find and do our own research. And his group, what's the name of your group that you're going to a Michigan, your Michigan group? It was started in Texas. UFO history work. Uh, uh, UFO history group. UFO so we history don't have any group. address. We don't have. We don't. We we are only researchers and writers. We don't. Uh, we don't uh, interact with people really that much. <laughs> That's so well, funny how you say it. We're not all all the time. Yes, we're, we're, I understand. We're working on our our. Uh, Your historical value, your yeah. contribution to humanity. <laughs> right. So, and I, I help market that. All right. So right. back to UFOs uh, with the yeah, government so. in 1947, project1947.com. Look it up, folks. I'm just here to help everybody connect the dots with Gian Aldrich and his group of researchers and the books they're writing and getting some stories out there to get you looking at some of these things they're doing and they're doing it because it needs to be done and it's hard because you got to like he said you got to turn page after page to find this stuff so we need workers so get in touch with Jan Aldrich at projectufo.com or Teresa J Morris here at TJ Marcy Radio and I'll help hook you up we do have UFOassociation.org. I'm going to keep up with these audios and put them on Blog Talk Radio, ET Radio. Ooh, sounds like you're typing. All right. Uh, yeah. You are typing. I'm okay, sure. there you go. I'm trying to get something up on the Internet. Um, Good. So, All right. Uh, so, uh, let's return to 1947. Um, back to 1947. Here we go. Right. I'm I'm looking at um, one other thing that I did not uh, mention is uh, two days before Arnold, uh, Dr. G. Oliver Dickert, Dickert, 
Dixon uh, is an ophthalmologist. Uh, he saw a blimp-like object. This is two days before. Anyways, Arnold Arnold sighting hits the newspapers on the on the uh, uh, on the twenty-fifth, and it gets carried by the wire services, and everybody uh, hears about it now. June, uh, June, month of June. So in no, forty-seven. Uh, yeah, June, June. So okay. Uh, uh, Arnold lives in Boise, so he goes over to the Boise Statesman, um, and he meets uh, the aviation editor, who is uh, a man named Don Johnson. Now, Don Johnson is also important in the uh, Idaho National Air Guard. He helped form the uh, the National Air Guard for for Idaho, and uh, he's a member of the press. So he talks to Arnold, and in talking uh, during the time he talks to Arnold, he gets he starts seeing these uh, stories coming in on the uh, on the wire service. So uh, he picks out two or three, and by that time, um, uh, Savage's story is on the Internet. Uh, Rankin's story is on the Internet. Those guys are both pilots. Um, The guy from the uh, 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 weatherman in, uh, I think it's St. Louis, uh, U.S. Weather Bureau, a guy named... uh, Unger, he comes out of the theater and he sees one. Now he's a weatherman. He 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 knows about balloons and stuff, and this thing is strange to him. Um. So he uh, uh, <clears throat> Don Johnson gets five of these cases, and um, and since he's a newsman, he calls up the head of the AMC, Air Materials Command uh, Center. And the commander is Lieutenant General Nathan Twiney. And this is the 3rd of July. So this is um, this is nine days after Arnold has seen his UFO and uh, eight days after it's hit the newspapers. And uh, uh, Don Johnson tells uh, Twining, he says, you know, these things are being seen by uh, reliable citizens. Um, <laughs> he talks about Arnold, and he, he talks about the, at the same time that Arnold's seeing his sightings, um, uh, these forest fire lookouts uh, are seeing um, uh, things in the sky, and there's other people, and and uh, John, uh, Johnson gives him uh, five cases, and he asks uh, um, Twining what he thinks about this. And Twining says, "Well, I can investigate these things." Now, remember, we talked about Symington and Lemay. Twining's the head of the AMC out there at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, so he 
Well, on his own authority, he can investigate these things, and that's exactly what he does. So that's why I wanted to talk about Symington and General LeMay. General LeMay is over um, Twining at this time. So Twining uh, exercises his authority, and he starts, he tells his uh, one of his deputies, General Brentonell, that he's going to, Investigate these sightings. Um, and it go it gets in the newspapers. Most of most of the people can't read it until the fifth of July. Um, in the meantime, after the fourth of July holiday, the Pentagon starts getting in gear here. And uh, uh, a guy named Garnett, a lieutenant colonel, and his boss, who was named Robert Taylor the Third, um, uh, they're in the collection department. And uh, we know about Garnett because uh, he's been going out at night, and he's been coming back after the Pentagon's closed. And the uh, Army intelligence officer, he he asks him, what are you doing here? He challenges him. What are you doing here? It's way after hours. You're almost midnight. What are you doing here? And he tells him, I'm investigating these UFOs. He says, I'm the one that's running around and finding all the uh, broken toilet seats and other things that people are throwing around in the air. He says, but I'm investigating pilots and other things <clears throat> so the army duty officer he says Colonel Garnett is here he is investigating this is on the 5th of July he makes this entry in his lot Colonel Garnett is here he is investigating UFOs for the Army Air Force it's interesting it's a it's an Army document, not an Air Force document, but that's how we know what Colonel Garnett is doing. Uh, in the meantime, Twining, uh, or let's put it this way, um, uh, Twining uh, uh, coordinates with the Pentagon, and he tells them what he's doing. And the uh, one of the early cases that uh, um, that Garnett is interested in, in, co- in fact, he calls this case number one, is at uh, Merck Air Force Base in California. There's several people on the ground, and uh, one guy in the air who sees these things at California. They're all reliable people. Even the base commander sees the thing, and the uh, uh, CIC investigates it. And so that's number case number one for Colonel Garnett. Um, not Arnold. Arnold's case comes later. Um, over the Fourth of July weekend, uh, um, airline pilot uh, flying. Um, up there uh, 
his co-pilot Stevens uh, go ahead and make a sighting from their aircraft. It gets in the news. Gets almost as much press as Arnold does. Um, uh, the uh, the people in the Pentagon get interested. They send for one of the pilots from Merrick Air Force Base. Now, how do we know this? We don't know this from uh, from Army paperwork. We know this from FBI paperwork. And uh, the number two man in Air Force intelligence at the time, Brigadier General Shuligan, he says, I'm going to break this guy. This guy is lying, and I'm going to prove it. And this whole thing is hopeless. And he cannot break this man, this uh, Stroop, S-T-O-O-R-P. He can't break this man. But, and this guy's a major. Later on, he be, uh, Stroop becomes a uh, the head of the uh, uh, Air and Space Museum in uh, New Mexico. And when they're interviewing people, from White Sands and things, he tells his, uh, the guy that's interviewing, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matson, he says, I don't want to hear anything about UFOs. I hate UFOs. Don't you put any anything about any interviews of that. So Matson, who is interested in UFOs, says, okay, I'll turn the camera off. And then he asks these people about UFOs. But this, this guy was so, uh, uh, traumatized by uh, being accused of uh, being a hoaxer and a liar by General Shuligan that it affected him in his whole career. He hated UFOs. <laughs> so Twining is investigating on his own based on these uh, five sightings. Shuligan decides when he can't break this major <clears throat> He says, we need to find 10 good cases and have them investigated around the country. (laughs) He tells Garnett, or he tells uh, Garnett's boss, Taylor, find me some good cases. So they find 10 cases. They they break them up and send them to different commands, like the Air Defense Command or 4th Air Force out in uh, uh, western United States. Um, and they send to 4th Air Force, they say, find Kenneth Arnold and interview him. Find Richard Rankin and interview him. Um, And so uh, uh, that's that. Now, the FBI by themselves, they hear about this stuff, and they they decide they should just investigate. Um, but Hoover's got a problem with uh, investigating things in the air. Because during the uh, Second World War, the balloon bombs came over from uh, um, uh, from Japan, and the FBI was the first ones to capture one. And then the Army Air Force came in and just elbowed the FBI out of the way. But at the very beginning, uh, 
J. Edgar Hoover goes ahead and he says, we can investigate these things. So he's in early 1947, he's investigating these things. Um, uh, in Portland, um, the police and the Harbor Patrol are seeing these things during the 4th of July holiday. And the uh, police put out an all, uh, all cars call. So all cars on patrol are supposed to look for UFOs. And all over Portland, the police are seeing these things and reporting them. Um, so that gets back to the Air Force. Um, uh, they do send somebody up. They send two uh, uh, CIC uh, um, counterintelligence command officers to uh, interview Arnold. Um, what they see when they get there is Arnold's got hundreds of letters that have come in to him. So they look at some of these letters. They take a few as examples. But Arnold receives maybe 5,000 letters after this. And they get thrown away, unfortunately. People reporting ah. UFOs in the So, unfortunately, all these early cases got thrown away. Um Early on in in, uh, in 1947, um, uh, on the 7th of July, these two pilots are flying to uh, their their Phillips Petroleum pilots, and uh, they're flying back to uh, Bartersville. They're in uh, at the Kansas Colorado border, and they're flying back to. Uh, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, in a plane. And the, one guy's looking at a map and the other guy's flying. And uh, the guy flying the plane says, uh, did you see that? The other guy says, he was looking at the map. So he said, I didn't see it. What are you talking about? And what this guy saw was, a, uh, he said it was as big as a hangar door and appeared to be rotating and it's coming right at him at just speed that uh, by the time he said, did you see it, it's gone. So he tells the guy, look, you'll see the, you know, see if there's another one. And sure enough, another one comes around. But he's he's just not looking in the right place. So he doesn't see it. He pilot says, do you see that? Uh, co-pilot says, eh, you must be crazy. And then he sees one. And they say, okay, we're going to turn the plane around and, and, and chase one. They turn the plane around. By the time they get the plane turned around, it's gone. These things are coming at them so fast. And he says it feels like these things are on collision course. They're heading right for them and just fly over them. (laughs) They saw um, about nine in all. And that only got into the local press. So I've got, from 1947, I've got about uh, 35 cases of pilots, airline pilots, uh, military pilots, private pilots. Um, uh, so 1947 is, 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 is quite a haul of, of, of UFO cases, not only in the United States, but overseas. Uh, 
these guy, uh, these uh, pilots for British Air, um, British Overseas Air, uh, flying to Argentina, they see one in the Bay of Biscayne. So it's it's they're being reported everywhere. Um, another important guy at this time is the head of intelligence in Fourth Air Force. He becomes like the main investigator because most of the stuff is happening in the West. So not only does he investigate his own cases in the 4th Air Force area, but he's writing to people from other Air Forces um, and asking them, you know, have you have you investigated this case or that case? And, and so he's getting information from uh, other Air Forces that are writing to him. Um, Is that Robert Billick? No, it's this is uh, Colonel Springer. Springer. And, oh, I'm looking at your Ar- notes Arnold here. Thinks, Ar- Arnold's saying. Uh, Arnold's saying. Uh, and he thinks this guy is his friend. He gives Arnold some kind of uh, letter where it says he can investigate cases. Oh. Um, so. Uh, that's, Is that like a legal document he can use to go into the no, Pentagon or something? No, it's a letter saying, you know, please, please, uh, if, uh, if this man asks you questions, uh, the the Air Force is interested in your answers. So, Very interesting. Okay. Right. So the summer uh, goes on. Um, in the. Uh, uh, in September, a lot of things start happening. Um, this uh, Alfred Loading, who's Springer, was it LTC Spring? It, yes. Fourth Air Force. Okay, Fourth Air Force. so you're covering that, and then. Uh, okay. in, in August, there's a there's a uh, there's supposedly a sighting at a place called Murray Island, where the UFO appears damaged and. It's like it's um, things that are falling off it. So Springer says I have to send people up there. So he sent two of his uh, counterintelligence uh, officers up there. And uh, uh, Arnold and Smith get involved in that case. Uh, And... uh, so the uh, counterintelligence officers come there and they say, uh, "These guys are hoaxers. They're trying to give me. Sl- they're trying to give us slag, and saying it came from this UFO." However, on flying flying back from uh, to uh, uh, to California, their plane catches fire, and. Uh, these two intelligence agents are uh, uh, die die in the crash. Uh, Colonel Springer is really angry about this because it's in the press. They're you know saying, well, you know, so maybe something is not right here. And so this is one of the first UFO conspiracies. So Springer gets kind of angry about this, and he says. Well, we're not investigating UFOs anymore. There's just slag there. <laughs> I've got the documents and the things that they 
they picked up, and it's nothing. And we're not investigating UFOs at all. Of course, he doesn't speak for the whole Air Force. He just speaks for his own place. And so uh, this gets on the press wires, and all around the world it says the United States Air Force is no longer investigating UFOs, or they call them flying discs at the time. It says the uh, United States Air Force is no longer investigating UFOs. This is August. Um, I guess we need to go back to Roswell. Roswell's in Fort. Uh, well, I need to say this about Roswell. When the Roswell incident happened, the base commander said that we've captured a flying disc. At the time, flying discs meant every anything. I mean, it meant you know a lot of a lot of UFOs were square and. The newspapers called them flying discs, even though they were square or rectangular or whatever. Um, when they when they showed the, what supposedly was the Roswell um, uh, flying disc at Eighth Air Force, um, that was the end of. Um, um, nationwide coverage of UFOs, except for Colonel Springer's telling the press that uh, we aren't investigating UFOs anymore. Uh, Colonel Springer had to write a letter of apology out to Wright Patterson Air Force, Air Force Base for telling telling the whole world that. Uh, we're not, you know, the Air Force is out of the investigation business. That's not what he meant to say, but that's that's what the press took him to say. And, you know, even in India, you find that's what it says. So, uh, so he wrote the letter of apology, and the press had slowly forgotten about UFOs anyways by this time, almost the only things that are coming out in the press are either humor items or from overseas in the uh, wire services. Uh, locally, some UFOs are being reported in August. Uh, Don Johnson talks to two United Airline pilots, and this is an amazing one. If it had made it to Wright-Patterson, it, it probably would have helped them earlier uh, uh have something more substantial to say about UFOs is two United Airlines pilots saw these discs coming under their plane and they had stopwatches and they looked on the ground and found um, reference points and they, they timed the UFOs going between these two reference points and figured out these things are going at 900 miles an hour. But for some reason, this local newspaper article never made it to right field. So it's unfortunate. Um, in September, Alfred Loading is uh, is one of the main guys in the UFO project. They have no name for it yet or anything like that. And he's going to go to uh, 
to uh, uh, the Pentagon and talk to uh, Dr. Carroll there, who has been uh, probably the main investigator in the in the Pentagon. Um, uh, oh, Carol goes on leave, so loading gets delayed. In the meantime, General Shuligan sends uh, Colonel Twining a uh, a list of UFO cases that uh, Colonel Garnett has been keeping. <coughs> Now there's a, a substantial amount of these. Yeah, we don't have his letter, but uh, what it what the uh, we have the uh, enclosure which is flying discs over the U.S. and it's got about thirty cases in there, and so. Uh, uh, McCoy is now the T2 guy there. Brett Nell uh, no longer runs the UFO project. It's it's now McCoy. So McCoy, uh, he has to call a meeting of some of the you know the the uh, the best experts at uh, at right field, and uh, they decide that. You know, UFOs need to be investigated. They need to report to different agencies of the government about what they find. We need to request these other agencies help them. Um, And they need to get the boss's signature on this letter. So McCoy writes up a letter, which ufology calls the twining letter. But McCoy wrote it. And Twining signs it. Now, you in the military, you don't just, you know, out of the blue, just, oh, let's just, let me just write a letter. No, he's answering Shuligan, who has sent him this material from the Pentagon, says, look at this, tell me what you think. We don't have that letter, but that's that's what, what, it, what Shuligan's letter probably said. So, uh, uh, McCoy writes writes this letter for for uh, General Twining. He gets it approved, and Twining signs it, and that becomes the Twining letter, or the Twining memo in ufology. But it's actually what it is. It's a corporate opinion of AMC. General put McCoy a half a dozen other engineers and high-ranking officers at AMC, it's their opinion of UFOs. It's, it's not Twining's opinion. It's uh, Air Materiel's opinion of UFOs. Uh, uh, Dr. Carroll comes back off a of leave and uh, loading goes down and sees him. Uh, they agree that uh, everything should be done at uh, um, the Pentagon. 
or excuse me, at the uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. The Pentagon should be, if they do anything, it's secondary. Um, and so did we have joint? We had joint chiefs of staff back then. Probably yeah, sure they did. Budget. Right, okay. but this is this is within the Air Force. No, it's first of September, so the Air Force becomes independent. So, uh, uh, Carol tells him, tells Loading, that, uh, oh, we've had three radar cases in Japan. You can't find those in the Project Blue Book files. He tells, he tells Loading that, hey, we've had these three Air Force cases in, uh, radar cases in Japan. So Loading goes back and talks to McCoy. Now McCoy's only a colonel, but his position is Deputy Commanding General AMC Intelligence. And he sees Twining every day, and Twining's a three-star general. And the guy that runs Air Force Intelligence down there is a two-star general. So you don't mess with Colonel McCoy because he has the ear of a three-star general. So McCoy tells, McCoy can tell Twining, hey, they're, they're not telling us about these radar cases. Actually, they did, but uh, uh, they're just mentioned briefly in the uh, flying discs over the United States that uh, Shulgin sent up there. When did they decide they were only concerned with over the continental United States first? They the never cards. decided that. Right. Nobody decided that. That was just uh, so. Uh, can't point loading is a chatterbox. <laughs> loading is a chatterbox. So he tells he tells McCoy this, and that's what Billick says. He says, "I don't know how loading could ever keep a secret. He's a chatterbox." That's where Billick, Billick's the unofficial um, historian of, uh, especially the early days in uh, T2, uh, TID, and um, ATIC, um, and uh, Billick said, yeah, I saw where they were investigating um uh, cases up here he said they had their own building and everything was hush hush and when I told him that loading was uh, the initiator of the whole project um, Billick said that guy that guy is a chatterbox he couldn't keep the secret if his life depended on it <laughs> well so, how do you get yeah. a clearance <laughs> yeah we always so, said loose lips sink ships <laughs> right so, so Loading tells McCoy about this. Uh, I don't know who called down to the Pentagon. I don't think it was McCoy. It was probably somebody in Twining's office that told them at uh, in the Pentagon, what's this about these Japanese cases? So you could just from uh, now we have Dr. Carroll's files. So almost immediately after they get this telephone call. They're running around like crazy in the Pentagon to put put away a, a summary of these radar cases for for uh, 
uh, uh, for McCoy. So that's that's probably what happened. At the same time, of course, the air, like I said, the Army Air Force is um, split off as a separate service, the U.S. Air Force. From the, the, CIA, from the Army. This, yeah, from the, the original CIA, Army, right? Right, right. The CIA is CIA is is uh, formed, and it's not Captain Hill and Carter anymore. It's Admiral Hill and Carter takes over the CIA, and he becomes the uh, director of Central Intelligence. Not uh, he doesn't have a little group now. He has a big group. One of the first things he does is write a letter out to right field. And he says, listen, you guys got all the engineers, scientists, and intelligence guys that can that do technical intelligence. He said, I don't want to I don't want the CIA to uh to form a, a technical intelligence group here. You guys are my technical intelligence group. You guys in the uh, Navy Bureau of Aeronautics, the the technical intelligence guys in in that outfit are my technical intelligence. He says, he says, uh, so he tells uh, Wright Field that, hey, you're not in the CIA, but you're you're working for me because uh, I'm not going to duplicate your uh, your efforts here. So. Uh, Hill and Carter. That's his uh, his thing. In the meantime, Bernard Baruch has gone around to just about everybody, uh, including Hill and Carter. He and Hill and Carter are friends. Bernard Baruch Jr. is a friend of Hill and Carter's, and um, uh, he's gone around to the Secretary of the Air Force. He's gone around to all these uh, uh, Army, Navy, Air Force. Uh, FBI, uh, Department of Defense. Yeah, that's the other thing that was set up in September, Department of Defense. So he's talked to all these people, and and uh, they're starting to work on his uh, his reporting system. And uh, Hillicotter writes to the Secretary of the Navy. He says, "This is a good reporting system." I'm happy to see that uh, uh, Bernard Baruch is working on this. Uh, Bernard Baruch Jr. is working on this, and everybody uh, thinks it's it's great. You know, it's it's going to be out there pretty soon. Well, um, is the Department of Defense over everything or no? Yeah, it's they over are. everything. Okay. Right. Now well, by September. You. Yeah. By September now. Uh, uh, Colonel Garnett says I think I ought to send a formal letter To the FBI Because they've been investigating cases Since the beginning So he sends a letter And you know can you cooperate with us uh, We we like what you're doing so far Can we, can you keep it up And um, he mentions to somebody, yeah, yeah. He says, "I'm not going to chase toilet seats anymore. We'll have the FBI do that." <laughs> that was a mistake. Word gets back to Hoover of what Garnett said, and he says, "I'm finished with UFOs. 
Uh-uh. Like I said, he was he was angry about being pushed out about the pushed out, you know, uh from the Japanese balloon bomb investigation. So he says, I, I'm not I'm not helping him. He says, if we get a UFO case, you write the uh Air Force and tell them uh, give them the particulars but don't investigate it. Let them investigate it. He said, I'm not chasing toilet seats. So uh so that's where the FBI leaves the uh leaves the investigation. And it's unfortunate because they would have been a big help. Uh they get involved later about nineteen fifty. They can't so stay out of it. So the Department of Defense is 18 7, September 1947, and they right. become they become like a joint Department of Defense with the Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marines fall under the Air Force. But uh, it says National Guard, but where's the Coast Guard? It doesn't fall under DOD. The, the Coast Guard, uh, well, the Coast Guard falls under in peacetime. They fall under. You know, like now they fall fall under uh, Homeland Security, but during war they fall under the Pentagon. Interesting. Okay, they, all these things during the during the Second World War they they fell under the uh, they worked with the Navy. So okay. during wartime they fall under the uh, under the uh, Department of Defense, but during peacetime. They've been under uh, Homeland Security or Department of the Treasury or um, uh, Department of Transportation. So, so they're like they, they get kicked around from one person to from one place to another. Well, do we do we say it's the DoD is an executive branch of the federal government because that's the way it's written, but. DOD, largest employer in the world. But we had, uh, it all happens in 47. So isn't that odd that the, the uh, we go on record with UFOs when we start getting organized in our country with Department of Defense, CIA, or all the, you know, national intelligence. All, all, this, all this thing was planned for years. All this uh, splitting off the Air Force. Uh, starting a, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency and um, uh, putting everybody, all the military organizations under DOD. Because before that, the Secretary of the Army, Secretary of the Navy, <laughs> were cabinet guys. They were cabinet. But now Department of Defense is the cabinet officer. And Secretary of the Air Force, uh, Navy, and Army are—they don't—they don't, they don't uh, go to cabinet meetings anymore, unless they're, you know, unless they're having everybody go there. They are no longer uh, primary cabinet officers. Well, would you say that it goes with Harry S. Truman signing the National Security Act? Yes, that's exactly that? what it goes. That's exactly what it goes with. This is in planning. Okay. This is in play. So, uh, uh, so that's July uh, 26, 1947. 
But that still, it didn't go in until after the sighting of Kenneth Arnold. Yeah, it's got nothing enough. to do with Kenneth Arnold, though. It's already been it's in the planning stages. Yeah, it's all already in the planning stage long before Kenneth Arnold. With it's in the planning Freeman. stage right after, well, in the planning stage uh, after the Second World War is over. So, all right, we need to document all that because it's like saying, who create you know who created the chicken or the egg sort of thing? But in ufology, we've really we're trying to build a timeline for all of us, especially all you important people that are by invitation only. <laughs> the I have I I have a timeline that uh, I guess maybe Dolan's started it. Okay. But, uh, but uh, George Everhart has in made it uh i mean he just increased it like about uh a hundred times a hundred times and then he gave it to me and i started putting stuff in there uh i'm up to 200 and my timeline is 250 pages and it's just up to 19 I combine uh, Everhart's timeline with uh, Richard Hall's UFO evidence timeline and my own timeline. So we're up to 200, uh, over 250 pages just to get to 1964. Wow, that's ex- excellent coverage there. So yeah. uh, Richard Dolan's second volume series, UFOs and National Security State, you guys that are just uh, – Research, historical researchers by invitation only. You guys do recognize his Amazon book, UFOs National Security State, the cover exposed. Well, I think Everhart, Everhart looked at that, and he said, this is a good idea, but um, he says he's got a lot of things that are kind of iffy and... Um, ah, okay, uh, so that's why Richard's got to be a stickler on... Uh, what he calls, well, scientifically, uh, peer review and uh, research with people like Corey he, uh, Good and Emory. He, uh, he, he, had, he, had, he had all kinds of things that, 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 that uh, in his timeline that don't really have much to do with UFOs. So, Everett Ward Everhart. Yeah, so yep. Everhart, Everhart took it and said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going to smooth it out and um, – Add to it, and like well, I said, he it's a it's it uh, it's it's over ten. His his thing goes all the way to the current thing. So he, well, he's a, probably over three hundred, probably over three hundred pages. I'm just going to 1964. Well, Everhart, and explain that name because I'm not familiar with all you researchers. I should be, but I'm more. With the timeline, or he's what's a he's, he's a member of Kufos. He's a uh, uh, he's an officer in Kufos. Uh, Was he interviewed by Richard Dolan for his book, Richard Dolan's book? Did he spend no, time no, researching? No, no, no. no. Interesting. No. So you Everhart, think some of Everhart just Everhart mm-hmm. just saw the timeline and said, "Oh, I think I ought to do that. I think I ought to expand that." And uh, 
and and clean it up, and so that's what he did. Okay, well, tell us his complete name and how we would research him as a historian, a ufologist. Is George, he still alive? George Everhart, yeah. Yeah, he's still alive. That's where I, I got his thing. He said, you want to see this? He said, I know you're interested in this kind of thing. So he sent me, you know, um, it was maybe uh, 150 pages. I, I don't know how many pages it was, but it was it was big and long. I mean, Dolan's is just about 20 pages or so. So, uh, so Everhart sent me his, and I said, well, let's put Richard Hall's um, uh, out, uh, outline of history from UFO evidence. And so I just put that, I, I put those two together, Everhart and Hall, and then I started doing, putting my own stuff in there, which is, uh, you know. And then you see how things go. Let, let me give you an example. In 1952, Churchill in England wrote a letter to the Air Ministry. It says, what do we know about these UFOs, this UFO stuff? And he got, uh, you know, the regular Air Ministry stuff back. Oh, well, we don't think there's much to it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, hoaxes, hallucinations, uh, misidentifications of regular objects. Uh, one of Churchill's uh, nephews uh, was in the science branch of, uh, of uh, uh, I think it was intelligence. Anyways, <clears throat> Um, about the same time the Air Ministry is sending this letter to him, uh, uh, this uh, jet in this jet pilot in Germany, a British RAF jet pilot, sees a UFO. So they call him to uh, his commander's office, and he tells them about his UFO. And they said, okay, send him to Churchill's nephew. And this guy, like I said, Churchill's nephew is, is he's not a cabinet minister, but he's way up there. So Churchill's nephew hears about this. And uh, not only that, in the meantime, they say, oh, by, uh, the, the RAF says, and by the way, we picked this thing up on radar that this pilot saw. So Churchill's got that in his papers. So he's got the air ministry telling him, oof, oof, there's nothing to it. Oof, oof. And here's his nephew. He says, hey, I interviewed this guy. There's something to this. <laughs> but if he didn't have the facts to go in the uh, in the outline, you wouldn't see that. And you wouldn't see where it fits in, you know, within about a two-week period. The Air, Air, Air Ministry tells him there's nothing to it. And then this pilot in Germany has this spectacular sighting, which is confirmed by radar. And one of Churchill's uh, uh, relatives hears about it. Of course, Churchill gets all the papers, and they're in his uh, papers at the, at a college. 
So uh, I, I just uh, I, I think that those kind of things are important. Well, can you? Uh, we're going to run out of time here, but can you tell us quickly what you know about Eberhard and Kufos and what it stands for? He's interested in. He's interested in history all the way back to ancient times. Uh, how do you say his name? E B E R H A R T or something? How do you right, spell it? Right, right. Yeah, Everhart. H A R T or H A R D? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he, it's T. Was he with George uh, Everhart? George yeah, he, Everhart. He, 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 he's he's uh, after after uh, he and Mark Rodiger uh, uh, were, were some of the leading lights in Kufos after Heineck left. Okay. Well, how many people took over after J. Allen Heineck for Kufos? And we need a timeline to establish for Ap- APRO and Kufos on this recording prior to you getting involved. Well, Kufo started after 73. I'm not sure. 74 started sometime. I'm not sure when uh, when uh, Heineck went to Arizona, so uh, he still kept his hand in it for a while. Uh, well, Afro was Jim and Carl Afro was 1952. And then uh, when Coral Lorenzen died, uh, it was no more. I mean, you know, the the board still existed, uh, but nobody had uh, been picked to take it over. Several people, they had talked about several people taking it over, but nothing ever happened. And the board was just, a, they, they didn't ever do anything, so... Uh, and then somebody else got the sightings to take care of the uh, the files to take care of them, and now these people are treating the files like they're theirs. They belong to them. So that's just a tragedy, an out and out tragedy. APRO. So APRO owns owns Kufos. Wait, I'm confused. APRO doesn't own anything. I don't I don't know what, what what why you're putting APRO and and Kufo uh Kufos in the same sentence. Historically. Too different. Historically uh, well, for people goes, that don't know anything about UFOs, who he, was keeping he, uh, any kind of records is why it fits in the timeline. It's like okay, Superman so, and Batman. <laughs> so, uh APRO started in 1952 and Went on until the 1980s till Coral Lorenzen, the director, died. And it supposedly still really exists because it's got a board, but they gave away the files. Uh, Kufo started in in 74 with Heineck. Heineck went to Arizona and... uh, uh, like I said, he kept his hand in it for a while, but then he died. So now Kufos is, still exists. It's got a board and everything. It's got officers. 
and it's got its records, and that's what we were doing out there to, to keep the records to make sure that they they don't go away anywhere. We're we're uh, we're uh, scanning them in so that the the records uh, um, don't don't uh, what what happens to the records of so many other organizations they disappear after the the principles go away and, or like Arnold's thousands of letters they get thrown in the trash oh, and the government doesn't care so we don't we're not putting them out there in Salt Lake I guess at the NSA building maybe maybe they're listening to us and doing all this I don't know. Well, there's uh, there there there's there's government files. There's plenty of government files, and um, like uh, I I was telling you about the Fourth Air Force. Yeah. Um, yeah, we found the Fourth Air Force. Well, first the government found part of the Fourth Air Force files, <laughs> but uh, we found uh, the files up to fifty-two. So those things. Those are something new. Well, they've been new since the 90s, but nobody, I think I'm the only one that's really worked on them or looked at them. I've got copies of them. Um, well, see, I so was Fourth Air Force files are important. Fourth Air Force files are important. Then the air defense files, they're important. Some of the air defense files are just now coming out. Not the stuff I want to see, but some of it's coming out. So, well, did you say MUFON, uh, Mutual UFON, they reference APRO, but they they don't claim that they were started. You, you know Andrews, right? Walt Andrews. Yeah, Andrews was an APRO member, and then he kind of broke away. Okay. So that he was. Started uh, the, he started the Midwest. UFO um, network, and then it became the mutual UFO network. And so he broke away. He broke with Coral, and uh, the both of them were fighting each other after that. Which, yeah, okay. Now, I know about that. I was born uh, right before APRO. I was born December 26th. Very important day of ufology, and uh, I guess also for uh, tsunamis, <laughs> but uh, the Walt Penniston file was on my birthday, December 26, and so was the tsunami in 2004. But I find it curious that we have two people. Uh, there was a controversy, and I helped start it, not intentionally, back in the day when I was uh, doing MUFON and UFO. I was writing for UFO Digest in Canada. That uh, uh, Stanton T. Friedman, I talked to Don Berliner and Stanton T. Friedman and uh, George Filer, and George Filer and Stan were both writing for the MUFON. But for some reason, I don't know how this works. It's pretty deep. It's a real long history. But I know it goes back to Walt Andrews, and I was dealing with NASA because I met at NASA. I met with a lot of the grassroots people at NASA in the 60s, 67. 68, 69. So who is the other person, or the grassroots person? It was Walt Andrews uh, for MUFON in the 60s, 
And who was uh, John Schusler? Was he in it back then or no? Did you know well, his he name? Was in it. I think he was in it from the beginning. Huh. It says that in this history that's written up on Wayback Machine that the MUFON officially began on May 31st, 1969. So it, that was the Midwest UFO Network. So that must be the one you're familiar with, an outgrow of the Midwestern state boundaries from the UFO organization, Mutual UFO Network. So Walt Andrews replaced Dr. Yuki as the MUFON director, a position he held until 2000, and he retired. John Schusler took over international director. John retired in November 2006. Now, I came in when James Carrion became the international director, and then he resigned at the end of 2009, and then Clifford Cliff, international director, 2012, and David McDonald took over. And I, I, I knew David. I talked to him about being an investigator with him and rewriting the handbook. So that was 2013 Symposium Las Vegas, Jan Carrion. But, uh, no, that was Jan Harzan. And Jan came on briefly on this show, so I'll have to have him back. But he had a sighting when he was a child, as far as what I understand from him. So he's interested in the alien contact as well. Those, why do certain people have memories or get have contact of some type psychologically, I believe. So have you ever seen anything yourself personally? Not that it means anything in ufology, but have you had any sightings personally, firsthand? Just to get on record. Yeah, nothing, nothing important. Just like, well, me, I saw bright light and stuff, but red lights coming. I, out I saw of something that was shaped like a, the Mercury capsule. Huh. Um. Uh, out of an airplane. I was going to the Austin, Austin conference for Mufon. I looked down, and. The airplane's going one way, and this thing is just above the road down on And so out the window, I saw this thing go by, but I only had like two or three seconds to look at it. I, I tried to get uh, um, I tried to get somebody else, Larry. Uh, Larry was there, and I tried to get him to uh, look at it, and it wasn't, uh, you know, I, it was too late. Well, we'll get you documented. Have you got that written up? The date? Yeah, it's um, written up. I, 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 I'm going to the MUFON. I'm going to the MUFON conference. I get to the MUFON conference. I say, "Hey, can I get a UFO form?" And these, these are all MUFON members now. Okay. Oh, we don't have one. <laughs> I said, "Why don't you have a UFO form?" I said, "I just had a UFO sighting." Oh, sure you did. Yeah, yeah. Oh no! I mean, they didn't yeah. believe me. They didn't Bless believe me. Heart. I said, "I said, I'm, I'm so on this sorry. airline. I'm on this airline, and I see it, see it out the window, and everybody's looking at me. Are you crazy? Good <laughs> land. I said, I said, what the heck are you guys doing? Wow! And you're a historian. I said, I want to get this thing written down. I said, I want to go to. Get it, go to my room and write this down right now before I forget it. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, my. Yeah, we've got a lot of people that are complaining about the attitudes. And I've talked to Jan Harzan about that extensively and of some of his 
people coming into the business when I guess you could say I've lived it my entire life, so I'm very curious as to how people uh, respond to others when it comes to ufology. That's why I don't call yeah. myself a ufologist. I'm better off as an investigator, a researcher, a writer, historian, whatever. Well, thank you, Jan. This is going to end today's episode. We will be uh, – now, next week, Monday, you will not be available. Is that correct? No, I won't. Okay. So uh, you'll be at that – Michigan. All right. Well, uh, you'll be you'll be gone that whole entire week next week, so you won't be available till the week after, second week in October. I, no, I'll be. Uh, I, I'm coming back on Monday. Next oh, you're week. coming back that day, Monday. Yeah. Okay. Well, but we can be... weekly if you'd like. Then uh, whatever day you choose. Yeah, well, see, we we left this thing hanging with Dr. Carroll and everything, and it's not it's not finished. All right. Um, well, we're out of time on this particular two-hour episode, so you want to write? Yeah, I don't know how much. I don't know how much we went over. Uh, well, right now it's fifteen minutes over. Yeah. So we got to end this episode, but we can begin with Dr. Carroll. Is that where you'd like to start? Yeah. All right. Well, make you dry your line in the sand or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, okay. and yeah, you, I know where we left off. And, you know, there's. Yeah, write it up. Uh, so for the September 1947 is really important. There's a lot of things that happened in September 1947. Okay. Well, they hadn't cut me off, but I'm sure they will in a minute. And because most of the radio shows can't carry it much past 15, they'll click it off. All right, well, let's go because this will get out there to everybody. And uh, maybe next Tuesday then instead of Monday, if you feel like it, if not Wednesday. I don't know how much jet lag you'll have. But uh, just yeah, I'll give be me fine. Yeah, Tuesday will be fine. Okay, so Tuesday yeah. 4 to uh, – it's 5 here, so it's 3 5. So Tuesday 4 to 6 due to his flying over to this by invitation only, and that's only Michigan State or is this – this is your group for uh, by invitation no, only. No, overseas and everything. I mean, you know, Italians and all these other people. Oh my! Do y'all have this annually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australia, Italy, Spain. Wow. Well, please. I mean, y'all, y'all have a brand. Do you have you branded this group? Or, even though it's uh, peer review only, I guess for historica historians. You don't have an official name? Yeah, UFO History Group. UFO History Group. All right. Well, I'll look it up. Do y'all have a website? No. No, it's oh not. It's, how, however, here, uh, go to Sign Historical Group. on project In Project 1947, look there. It's, it's like two websites split. Sign Historical Group. That's the origin of the UFO History Group right there. Project. Okay, folks, I'm going to project1947.com, and then if you will scroll down, uh, where I'm looking at the left side, uh, Project 1947. I don't see it. Let's see where's the very bottom. You see that? You see that that thing that says uh, Sign Zero. Historical Group. Where at the bottom? No. At the website, at the 1947 website, 
You see the uh, the eagle with its wings spread. No, it says welcome the to the symbol in it. The oh, symbol oh, in wait. It. oh, just click on symbol. click on that symbol. Oh, okay, it's a secret. <laughs> you have to know the code to get in, folks. You got to click on the symbol. Yeah, it's got that's a little bitty thing in the bottom. You wouldn't even notice it. So uh, that's interesting. You got to know how to get into that. All right. Well, thank you for that. And so if we look at that, it doesn't say anything about an event or a group or meeting or anything, does it? How about the workshop, maybe? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that's where we formed that group. Oh, okay. Uh, the Signed Historical Group UFO History Workshop Proceedings Workshop Abstract. All right. Uh, no dates. There's absolutely no dates. Interesting. For a historical group with no dates on this. <laughs> well, we'll have to get with you and learn more about you, this uh, group, because there's absolutely no historical. It just says the Signed Historical Group UFO History Workshop Proceedings, but no dates. It should say on the cover there. It should say on the cover, or the if it's not there, it's on the inside cover. No, it's it's not. It's just a pink page with some writing on it. Uh, it says an excerpt from a workshop abstract. Some preliminary thoughts from Michael Swords on defining the field. No historical data as far as dates or how it was formed. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you're looking at. If you go to the... I clicked on that. I clicked on that sign on Project 1947. So it says right. not Project1947.com/shg/abstract.htmn, and then it, that's where it took me when I clicked okay. on that. But, but what, what, there should be something that says resources or something like that. Uh, has, the, uh, the, the proceeding. Let's see, historic, the sign historical group. Uh, Project 1947 is proud to host the sign historical group webpage. This is a temporary measure, and the sign historical group does not necessarily endorse or subscribe to views and opinions expressed on the Project 1947. Then it has uh, a few links. It says sign historical group. Proceedings online. Sign yeah, proceedings. Go, go to the proceedings. All, all, everything Fine. is about how it formed and it, who did it, and everything is in the proceedings. Let's see. There's a table of contents. There's a picture. No dates. Dang it! I'm a date person. I like to see what's going on by date. What does well, it say on the cover? Uh, it's just a pink page with a gray. Looks like stamped on uh, something similar with the logo. I'll save that. Uh, then it, I'll put it with Ghost Rockets for right now because I don't have a place to put it. Let's see. Oh, get off of there. It says, see it now. It says, Historical Group, SHG, Sign Historical Group, UFO History Workshop Proceedings, Table of Content, Proceedings Online, and then Quality Print. Uh, Chairman Tom Tulin for 23 Postage Handling, Make Check Payable. Minneapolis. So uh, no, no go to the actual proceedings. You have to go to the proceedings. Pro- I thought I did. I went to the link. Well, there was That's two. Not I mean, the proceedings. That's just telling you how to get a copy of it. Uh, well, that was the first one. Let's say okay. Let me go down. Sign historical group proceedings. That's the one I went to. 
Let me go to this second one in the, between there. Okay, now, during Memorial Day weekend, May 29th, there it is. So it's under wonline.htm. It says, during Memorial Weekend, May 29th through January 1, 1999, a workshop was organized in Chicago. Okay, this is the one you were looking for. So apparently it involved UFO historical research, sign historical group, our results. So it says, the intent was to explore the current state of all facets of preserving and exploring UFO history. So now, how many people showed up there? Do you have the list? Because you had a picture, didn't you, somewhere? Yeah, a picture with all the names. The names should be under it. It's not there right now, so I don't see the picture. Well, it's in either. the proceedings. It's in there. It's in the okay. uh, right after the cover, two or three pages right. after the cover. Well, take good pictures, and, and uh, we'll start with 2019 with you guys and your oral and learn who all these people are, these historians, because, you know, that's important that they did this stuff, so. Uh, and some of them have passed on, and that's the reason you and I got together too. But uh, actually, uh, another gentleman recommended you two of them, Jan Harzan and Bruce Maccabee. So thanks to Bruce and Bruce helping us with the ACO, Alien Contact Org, and the UFO Association. Prior to that was Stanton Friedman and George Filer. Well, thank you. We will get started with all this. There's lots to learn, Jan, and we appreciate all you're doing to get us all on a timeline and uh, incorporating other peoples and all this information. So we'll start next week, Tuesday, folks. And, uh, Jan, thank you. I know it takes a lot. Go get a drink of water now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We look forward. Okay, have a good time with your people, and uh, we look forward to learning more about them. And people can hear about it right here on T.J. Mars ET Radio, folks. So thank you, Jan. And uh, talk to you next Tuesday, okay? Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.